We are. I mean, it, well, and it's not even the darkest timeline. It's the stupidest timeline. I'm convinced it's of it. It's a dumb timeline. That the world, like, I don't know why this guy, because he wasn't a very good guy to begin with, but every time I think about our modern world, mm-hmm. I think about T.S. Eliot. I don't know why T.S. Eliot, oh, but I think about T.S. Eliot. And I think about, like, T.S. Eliot writing The Wasteland with this mm-hmm. just, like, near infinite amount of um knowledge of the classics and of like the history of the west and like literature Mm -hmm. and all this stuff like peppered all of these little nuances and stuff and in like a hundred years i think the wasteland what was probably written in like 1921 and in a hundred years like here we are and how did yeah. we get here? How did we get from T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland to now? And it almost seems more bleak and more like The Wasteland than it was in 1921. Mm-hmm. Not even almost. It is. It is more it bleak. Is. Like, I don't know. Run the music. Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, the only podcast on the internet where we try to make sense of the world one Wikipedia article at a time. I am joined by my very, very good friend, John Miklas, as always. Thank you, sir. Hi. Hey, and I am joined by the wonderful, intellectual, creative, very, very profound Alex Virgil. (laughs) Um, you didn't have to laugh. It wasn't a joke. I <laughs> I appreciate that. I've said all of like two words so <laughs> far today. Um, I've done minimal prep. Um, That's so. good. That's a good thing. I like I like when we riff. I think we're best when we riff. Yeah. The lost episode was mostly riffing, and it was the best mm. episode we ever had. No one will ever it, hear it, it so they can't prove us wrong on that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's our tenacious D's. greatest song song, yeah um well like verge said welcome you are listening to the hegelian friendship simulator Mm -hmm. uh this is a wikipedia centric podcast that also sometimes talks about media current events um the nature of humanity you Mm -hmm. know the the regular stuff that podcasts do the mundane everyday stuff yeah mundanity of mundanity um right if this is your first time listening, welcome. Thank you for thank you for joining. Thanks for popping in. Thanks for popping in. If it's your not your first time, welcome back, piggies. Yeah. Uh, enjoy the slop. Yeah. Um, and if you uh, yeah, if you ever want to get a hold of us uh, and um, you know get in touch with us, you can on Twitter, Instagram. We got a web a page for both uh, both social medias. Or you can email us at hegelianfriendshipsimulator.com. No, sorry. Hegelianfriendshipsimulator at gmail.com. Yes. Yes. Good job. Thank you. Um, So what? What's What's going going on? on? What's going on? Yeah. What's the haps? Dude, not much. You know, we are, you know, sending love out to our our friends in Texas, hoping that they they made it through. I know this is tough times. I know that... um, in a in a a more joyous period of America, we would be 
you know, stringing up some of the local elected officials. Um, right. Maybe popping out the guillotines. I don't know. Doing something. Uh, but uh, alas, it is 2021, and there's, uh, I don't know, there's like laws and or something. Ted Cruz continues on. Yeah, Ted Cruz continues to get to be Cruising. a sitting senator. Uh, hopefully... I mean, I do, I will say this, that I love the fact that um, for at least like 12 hours, everyone in the country was able to like, it was like cathartic for everyone to hate on the most hateable man in the world. Yeah. And like, and just like, like catch him, you know, cause he's so, yeah. he's so snake, like slimy that he gets mm-hmm. himself out of stuff. But mm-hmm. we just had him, and he had to apologize. He had to blame yeah. his fucking daughter. Daughters. Oh, oh, it you. felt so good. And I, that's all we'll say about that. Because, Righteous, yeah. like we said, we are feeling it for you know solidarity with all you, yeah. all you cold motherfuckers out there. I hope you're staying warm. Uh, yeah. Got lots of blankets. Hope your pipes didn't freeze. Seriously. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it actually, all in all, it was a terrible week for good people. It really was. But an even worse week for bad people. So, <laughs> yes. I don't know. I don't know where the scorecard comes out on that. But, uh, I, yeah, I really don't want to jinx anything or anything. But maybe, maybe the, what's what's the word? You know, the foundation is crumbling in a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, I the, my favorite thing about the day that Rush Limbaugh died was that Henry Kissinger was trending on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. true solidarity is the moment that someone awful dies, you're just waiting for the next one, you know? Yep. Good things are, you know, those things come in threes. So hopefully, you know, right around the corner. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah, Verge, you got any, you got any old business this week? You know, I, I, this is my complacent episode where I've been talking myself up for having done such good prep for the past few and, um, my eyes were hurting last week. So I said, nah, honestly, Verge, that's okay. I have enough content to talk about for, uh, hours. So get ready, buckle up. It's going to be up. a crazy ride. Um, I can't wait. Um, should we just start start right in with a, an ethnic enclave? Yeah, I say we do it. Doing? Yeah, I, I got no old, old business. I watched the first episode of the Adam Curtis documentary. Okay. It's funny. I'm, we I'm talk about that. We don't even need to. I, my only observation is that I'm so excited about this, and mm-hmm. I've done this with other media like this where I – will like savor it and I'll wait yep. to the mm-hmm. point that I don't even watch it anymore. Like I did this with mm-hmm. the, the wet hot American summer reboot. I was Hilarious. so excited about that. I don't think I've seen it all the way through because I was like savoring it. I was like, Oh, I can't watch it all at once. I'm doing this too with Adam Curtis. I think I need to just like honestly stay up all night tonight and watch the entire thing. Uh, or else I'm not going to watch it. I did like two, two at a time. Nice. That um, seems like a good yeah. Like and I actually one. haven't finished the last one. Nice, but yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. A lot of stuff is brought up that we've like randomly touched on the past couple weeks, nice. which makes me feel like we're 
at least on the right track in terms of the kinds of stuff we're seeing. Yeah. Um, and on the other hand, it's just like, I don't know, reading the book I'm reading, having talked extensively randomly about China last time, and then watching so much of 20th century China be in this documentary. It's like cool uh, synchronicity of learning. Absolutely. That's what the Hegelian friendship simulator is all about. It is. It truly is. So with that in mind, you know what time it is, Verge. Ethnic Enclave of the Week. Um, All right, Verge. You are familiar with this one. I am familiar with this one. But I felt like it was high time. We had to talk about my personal favorite ethnic enclave in the world. Little Chittagong. <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> well, it, this is so. So, for all you listeners out there, um, my personal favorite ethnic enclave in, in the world is the greatest neighborhood in the world: Koreatown, Los Angeles, yeah. California, United States. Um, if you are a non-Los Angeles, non non Angelino centric listener, which yeah. is maybe about a third of our listeners <laughs> yeah. uh, but if you are not familiar with los angeles i urge you if and when the time comes that you do travel to los angeles have your hotel in koreatown stay in yeah. koreatown it is the best neighborhood in los angeles it's perhaps the best neighborhood in the united states and it is a <laughs> truly world-class weird ass interesting place it uh, is it's all incredible. of those so that in and of itself is interesting, and we could talk about that. But mm. in fact, I do want to talk about the story of little Bangladesh. That's amazing. That's <laughs> hilarious. <I'm, laughs> I can't believe I nailed it. I mean, you were introducing Koreatown like a thing, but I'm glad it's this specific incident. So, um, so for those that are not familiar, little Bangladesh is an ethnic enclave within an ethnic enclave. Mm-hmm. Um, it is entirely enveloped by Koreatown in Los Angeles. And Koreatown in and of itself is, um, let's see if Wikipedia will give me a quick, um, it is, uh, so Koreatown is about 150 blocks. Um, yeah. it is 2.7 square miles. It is, um, south and east of Hollywood, and almost due west of downtown Los Angeles, um, mm. and south and west of Silver Lake and Echo Park. Um, and it is, uh, outside of downtown Los Angeles, probably the most densely populated part of Los Angeles. A lot of sky rises. Um, it, it really does feel like you are not in Los Angeles for a city that is spread out very flat, yeah. very low to the ground. Koreatown is high up. Um, I think many people do relate it to like what urban Korea certainly feels like, especially because the mm-hmm. almost the entirety of it is like Korean, um, Korean alphabet on all of the the street yeah. signs. So Little Bangladesh uh, is entirely enveloped inside of Koreatown, um, much like. Bangladesh in real life, except not by Korea. Obviously, yes, but. yeah, it is. Um, Dude, these Bangla people—they need to stop 
being surrounded by right <laughs> entire well, populations. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with this verge, but hmm. they actually tried not to be. Um, they so I am now going to go to a New York Times article from okay. 2009. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, and it says Koreans and Bangladeshis vie in Los Angeles district. Hmm. It says, in the last 30 years or so, a six-square-mile area west of downtown Los Angeles has become an enclave of some 50,000 Korean-Americans, the Mm. largest concentration of Koreans in the country. The district is now commonly known as Koreatown. But on the city's official maps, Koreatown is nowhere to be found, because until 2006, Los Angeles had no formal process for designating neighborhoods, whether well-recognized or little-known. And mind you, this is in 2009. Um... Korean civic groups say they always simply assume that the area was officially Koreatown. So this is, oh, in, in 2009, there weren't even signs on the streets designating the area that we all know to be Koreatown yeah, as Koreatown. Yeah, that is kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, they were surprised then when an application was filed with the city's clerk office in October to name dozens of square blocks in what they considered the heart of the neighborhood. The name sought was Little Bangladesh. Let's go. <laughs> the application Bengali. the application submitted by a committee of the growing number of Bangladeshis in LA has brought a struggle between two mainly immigrant groups that reflects the mm. complexities of negotiating space and official recognition in an increasingly crowded urban center. Mm. The last official count of Bangladeshis in LA is 1700. Uh, but the uh. Bangladeshi consul does say there are 10 to 15,000 in LA and 25,000 Southern California. Um, okay. So it was filed a dozen, dozens of square blocks. So it was a it was a significant portion that they were Yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah, and then this is my favorite line of the entire thing is um hmm. We don't want to seem like bullies, but this is Koreatown. <laughs> said Chang Lee, chairman of the Korean American Federation of Los Angeles, we will fight for it. Uh, so it turned into this like pretty big ethnic like tension in the city mm-hmm. of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. uh, and you know ultimately uh, the um, the council member that is for that or at that time this right. guy Tom Labonge. I didn't look up whether he's still in office, but he was like, uh, he said, Koreatown has been around for so long that it predates any regulation. Uh, it, it just says formal uh, and justified. It is Koreatown. Um, and they, and, you know, also part of the, the huh. kind of cultural aspect that we're talking about here is that this part of Los Angeles yeah. was significantly Korean in mm-hmm. 1992. And so right. there is a cultural aspect where the Korean American business owners of this mm-hmm. neighborhood were literally militantly defending their homes in 1992. Yeah. And yeah. so I think everybody, like, I, I think it's such an interesting situation on like a civic level where it's like, mm-hmm. obviously, you want to celebrate and promote an ethnic group that is like gaining ground and foundation in a place but you're like guys like of all the people in los angeles you're gonna do this to you just can't do it to the koreans yeah (laughs) 
you just you like you really cannot fuck with the koreans in los angeles okay it just is not gonna work um so ultimately this is this is the best kind of the best part of the whole thing is that little bangladesh Mm-hmm. If you look at it on a map, I encourage everyone to go into uh, Google Maps and to search Little Bangladesh, uh, Los Angeles, is four blocks east-west, uh. and less, and and the basically the one um, building, like it's not even a full. Oh, it's not even like a in any direction. Building it, yeah, it's just it's, like doors it, it facing is, the street. It is four square blocks in the sense that it is a four by one uh, block, four blocks by one block uh, yeah. rectangle. It is the most tiny ethnic enclave that I've ever personally seen, like that is officially called out. Um, yeah. So they, I mean, honestly, I feel like there was some. Um, There's only like possibly like five residences. Yeah, um, it's it's. It's oh, minuscule. it's where the Johns is. There okay. is a Johns International Market, which is a... If you ever need to find um, organ meat in Los Angeles, oh. highly recommend John. I had to make haggis yeah. one time uh, for for when I worked at a, a when bar. You have to make haggis. <laughs> and uh, the only place that I could find all of the organ meat to make haggis was John's Market. John's. Um, yeah, but it, I mean, it's not crazy that it's... it Little Bangladesh, it's almost... I feel like the Bangladeshi, the yeah, the Bangladeshi community would almost be better off without Little Bangladesh right. and like they trying again more space. Yeah, like like that is just it's just so little space. It's it is an embarrassingly small part of the map. Yeah, that's pretty small. So that is the story of um, yeah, that's Bangladesh. so. That's such a like. Speaking of fucking Armando Yanucci ideas, <laughs> like imagine like the nice local L.A. lawyer who's trying to like negotiate between these two like very worthy, yeah, enclaves. Yeah, because like I think that part of the the joy of an ethnic enclave is mm-hmm. that it is a celebration of culture without mm-hmm. the kind of baggage of geopolitics, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, well, Chinatown is just a celebration of people who all have a common history and they have a common mm-hmm. culture and they love each other because of that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to worry about like, I don't know, I, I don't feel like the, the, the residents, the Chinese American residents of Chinatown in Los Angeles are really, really have to speak for the atrocities against the Uyghur people in Western right. China, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't feel like they're personally responsible or, or have to personally answer for that. Mm-hmm. But then it's this kind of thing is weird where it's like, okay, well, the geopolitics of Korea and Bangladesh mm-hmm. are meaningless. But mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, now there's like a whole new meaning to these ethnicities and these groups and communities, you know? It's like an yeah. entirely different can of worms. Dude, well, hey, yeah, hey, people who are not Angelinos, you know, when you come to L.A., I know the first thing you want to do is see all the things that Miley Cyrus talks about, you know, but it's way more interesting to visit the different, see the city as the different enclaves. 
yeah i think i and i to be fair i can't speak on new york um Mm -hmm. but i think that los angeles is particularly interesting in that regard where you can Mm -hmm. like i I remember living on in in filipino town Mm -hmm. and my parents at the time were living on the west side and i used to love driving surface streets like cross yeah uh, that's the basin the way to go. and i and i counted one time and i i drove through 11 different explicit ethnic enclaves on the way from where i lived to where they lived and i thought that was so, so cool it's the best yeah i can barely like i can name more than i could in any other city and i bet it's only yeah a fraction you know, right yeah um so yeah, that's that's the story yeah, of, right. of of little Bangladesh. Uh, little Bangladesh. I think that there's probably more to it. Uh, so might be an old business, or if anybody has any experience with little Bangladesh, please let us know. Um. All right, but alas, little Bangladesh. That's the story. Love it. I am ready to tell you to go on a trip we've got we've got a long trip to go on here verge okay great so so verge before i even tell you what everything is about i am going to play you um a oh and i need to to, to share sound all right so and we'll add this in so the listener can hear but here we go okay start Pedi cam lego vosati rumabo aureli patiket kinae de furi, qui nex ver siculis meis putastis, qui sunt moliculi parum pudicum? Nan castue sedecet pium poeta ipsum ver siculos nihil neceses, qui tum deni quabent salac lepore, si sunt moliculiac parum pudici, et quod pruriat incitare possunt. Non dico pueris sed his pilosis qui duros nequeunt movere lumbos. Vos qui milia multa basiore legistis, maleme mare putatis, pedi cablego vos et irumabo. All right. <laughs> uh, do you know what language that was, Virg? No, and I spent all 42 seconds of that trying to, like, find some roots that I might recognize. So that was... Uh, no fucking right. idea. Um, okay, so first off, before we get into this, uh, I really, really doubt that any listeners out there listen to this um, podcast with their children, but I would highly recommend mm. uh, for this episode, you at least skip over my section, because uh, <laughs> we're talking about sex, baby. We're talking yeah. about you and me. Us. Na, 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 all the na, things. Na, na, na. Um, yeah. All right, so that was in Latin. Um, that poem <laughs> was Latin. <laughs> that poem uh, is um, from, it's literally the root that I was looking for, and I could not recognize it at all. Uh, that poem is called um, Catullus Sixteen. Catullus mm. is a famous Latin poet. Uh, are you familiar? Have you heard that no. name before? All right, he's a famous poet. I hadn't heard of him either. Pretty interesting guy. He it, um, lived at least between 84 uh, BC and 54 BC. Okay. Um, So like Roman Republic era before pre-Roman Empire. Right. Um, Mm Pre-Caesar. And that poem 
is widely considered to be the most profane thing ever written in Latin. Love it. I'm going to read you both at least the the direct translation, and then we may read, I found someone who did a modern translation as well. Um, <laughs> all right. So are you okay. ready? Are you ready for right, the... Ne- never been more ready for um, anything. All right. My eyes are closed. My, my... I will sodomize and you and face fuck you, bottom Aurelius and Catamite Furious. You who thinks because my poems are sensitive that I have no shame, for it's proper for a devoted poet to be moral himself, but in no way is it necessary for his poems. In point of fact, these have wit and charm, if they are sensitive and a little shameless, and can arouse an itch, and I don't mean in boys, but in those hairy old men who can't get it up. Because you've read my countless kisses, you think less of me as a man. I will sodomize you and face fuck you. All right. Do you, do you, would you like to hear the modern translation as well? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, please. Fuck you, boys, up the butt and in the mouth. You queer Aurelius and you fag furious. You size me up on the basis of my poems because they're a little sexy as not really decent. A poet has to live clean, but not his poems. They only have spice and charm. If somewhat sexy and really not for children... If, in fact, they cause body talk, I'm not talking in teenagers, but in hairy old men who can barely move their stiff bums. But you, because you happen to read about many thousands of kisses, you think I'm not a man? Fuck you, boys, up the butt and in the mouth. So that is (laughs) Catalyst 16. So I want to talk about Catalyst 16. The... the (laughs) The first translation, I feel like, is more like contemporary than the second one. Yeah, I, I... I'll fucking face fuck you, Bo- bottom Aurelius. I think is amazing. Yeah, I, I, f- I find because obviously, so um, this poem is sometimes just known um, as "I will sodomize you and face fuck you." Um, yeah, obviously, right? Right. Um, and I, I, I did like the the like. Can, modern translation which is fuck you boys up the button in the mouth <laughs> um and i guess i don't know i guess i should backtrack and like talk about how i got here right um yeah because the, the the i got deep in here and i thought this was going to be the topic and mm-hmm. then i found myself going back out and Wonderful. so i like we're we're heading down a conversation uh hopefully lengthy honest and true about human sexuality so Mm. um love it i watched a movie this week okay um it's called swept away um Uh have you seen it are you familiar it's it's from it's by a woman named uh lena wertmuller um Mm. it's from 1970 or like the early 70s it's an italian movie um okay and it's it's about a rich it's about these like uh a rich group of people on a mm-hmm. yacht mm-hmm. and this horrible, disgusting, like beautiful, but like awful w- rich woman who is mm-hmm. terrible to all the, like the people, like the servants on the boat. Right. Um, who gets lost at sea with mm-hmm. a, the communist deckhand mm. who turns out to absolutely despise women 
then mm-hmm. they have this like weird psychosexual relationship on um, like a deserted island in the Mediterranean where right. like basically he is a victim of poverty, but uh-huh. the second that he has an opportunity to become an oppressor, right. Be- abuses and manipulates this woman into right. like being his like sex slave on the island. Right. Um, but there is a weird scene because the, the whole, the whole movie is like so twisted and like dirty. It's highly recommend uh, if you're not easily offended because I think that right. there is like kind of like a, like a meta story, which yeah. is just about like the wickedness of all people because mm-hmm. it's like a, a rich woman who hates poor people and a poor right. communist man who hates women, you know? Right. So there's just like, nobody is good. Um, but there's a weird scene where she says, she says, sodomize me. Um, and she is like, obviously like kind of deliberately playing the role of like the subservient, uh-huh. you know, in like an oppressive relationship. She says, mm-hmm. sodomize me. And he, he's like, what word are you saying? I don't know what that means. I'm proudly ignorant. I have no idea what mm. you're talking about. Um, so it led me to looking up the Wikipedia for the word sodomy. Because uh-huh. it, it, it did strike me in that moment that I was like, I actually, I mean, I know what sodomy is. Right. But sodomy is an intentionally like vague or ambiguous no, term. No, I agree with you. It, it feels all connotation. Yeah, it's and 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 I guess in reality, at its like most broad, sodomy mm. is a reflection on sex that ha- has nothing to do with procreation. Mm. Um, and so, with that in mind, it's I mean, like butt sex is right. a has like kind of directly been tied to sodomy because yeah, you you can't get anybody pregnant. Mm-hmm fucking in the butt you just can't um right i don't know if i've ruined anybody's mystery of it but um butt sex doesn't work for pregnancy (laughs) Um, nicholas found out the hard way (laughs) (laughs) uh so Mm. so i i don't know i it led me down this rabbit hole where i was kind of starting to think about attitudes of cultural sexual liberation and repression and wondering, is sexuality on a linear, progressive um, path? In the mm. sense, did we start from like most repressed and are going to most liberated? Right. Or mm-hmm. is the history of sexuality a much more complicated mm-hmm. and opaque concept that really d- defies our sense, like our sense of what progressivism is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely. Um, I, it, it's interesting. I f- I feel like it's it's it swings way more unexpectedly throughout history. Than, Absolutely, you know, the linear. Yeah, because I mean, I think <clears throat> if you start to kind of um, think about. Mm-hmm the role of sexu- sexuality in mm-hmm. ancient Rome, ancient Greece, right? there is a much more complicated relationship than mm-hmm. we in like a 2,000 years into Christianity mm-hmm. world would kind of conceptualize. 
Right. I, I am wondering if I personally am more sexually repressed than Catullus in 84 BC who wrote mm-hmm. this poem, mm-hmm. I will sodomize you and face fuck you. Like, it, and it, like, what is the role of art in all of this? Like, what it, he, this poem mm-hmm. is fun and it's funny because the first line and the last line are so ridiculous, yeah. but it actually is a pretty interesting concept that I think we should like now talk about. Yeah, yeah. I um, don't have any conclusions obviously yet, but like I, I, I'm definitely the first thing I'm curious about is what a reader then sure maybe someone some some historical parallel to maybe who we are how they would interpret what like the re the meaning of those sentences so being where they are i will say this and i i did like some relative um kind of like cursory wikipedia um mm-hmm. research about this so this guy this guy gaius valerius catalus um mm-hmm. He was a um, neoteric poet. Um, okay. And the neoterikoi, or neoterics, were a series of avant-garde Latin poets who wrote mm. in the first century BC, and they deliberately turned away from classical or Homeric epic poetry. And rather mm. than focusing on the feats of ancient heroes and gods, they propagated a new style of poetry through stories that operated on a smaller scale in themes and mm. settings. Um, and although the poems, uh, of the neoterics may seem to address superficial subjects, they are viewed as subtle and accomplished works of art. Uh, mm. and this guy, Catalyst is mm. known, um, uh, to have, uh, influenced Ovid, Pliny the Younger, Marshall mm. Apuleius, who I, I'm not familiar with, um, and his main thing is kind of codified in this specific poem in that uh, he asserts that while the poet should be a respectable person, his work, his or her work should not be constrained or restricted. Right. Which is an interesting concept that I actually personally kind of believe in. And I'm feeling more and more like is a cultural, I wouldn't go so far as to say issue, but a reference point that we are struggling with today, like mm-hmm. specifically in this day, where yeah, I mean, it sounds like that point that poem was a response to him being canceled, right? <laughs> you know, to to really like hammer your point home, he uh, he wrote a, like a number of poems uh, against these two guys that he specifically called out. <laughs> okay, uh, so one, two, three. He has like I don't know like a hundred and something poems that we still have today. Uh, so mm-hmm. for that era, he's like a pretty well-known poet. Yeah. And poems 11, 15, 16, 21, 23, 24, and 26 specifically um, call out these guys, Furious and Aurelius, who mm-hmm. um, are apparently in his group of friends, but they used to make fun of him because he all of his poems are about like, deep expressions of personal love and they yeah they they thought he was effeminate because he 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 like he was in touch with his yeah he was he wanted he was talking about sensitive subjects and like 
expressions of love that weren't masculine enough. Yeah, and, and so he wrote this poem where he said, I will sodomize you and face fuck you if you ever talk to me again about like my... Um, Damn, okay. Yeah, now, now, now I'm starting to really uh, feel the... Uh the angles of this <laughs> yeah dude this poem is amazing it's it actually rocks like it is this it poem is, is really amazing funny and interesting and silly but also it's a good poem and it's like yeah. interesting to talk about there's like that so like i'm sure i've like i've i have mentioned this before like to me the pinnacle of humor and, and because this is the essence of human existence the pinnacle of humor is paradox sure and this poem it just says yes to every paradox and that's why he wins you know mm-hmm. what i mean where it's like you're you're afraid of yourself right is this poem it's like you're afraid of yourself and so i'm not going to apologize it's you know effeminate and gay and also fucking powerful to face fuck another man yeah well yeah that's the thing is that you it's it, it is um it's power. They're like making fun right. of him for like giving up his power to a woman, you know, mm-hmm. like, Ooh, you're talking about kissing your woman that many times. Like, Ooh. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, the power is in the art. Like the power is in like what it says and what it feels, you know? Yeah. This is a guy that I feel like women fucking loved. Oh, yeah. just, just like, Oh, this guy gets it. This guy. guy absolutely laid pipe. I mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I so it, it. I I guess I I'm gonna continue on. I as much, I I will say this poem yeah. is great. I think everybody should go look at this article, Catalyst Sixteen. Read the poem. Think about it some more. It's a it's really interesting. Um, yeah. And. The kind of interesting thing is that we live in a day and age now where like sodomize is lighter, less like explicit about what we're talking about than the Latin poem was. Um, And and so I thought Latin was interesting, but it does turn out that like this was in poor taste even in its day. Mm -hmm. And there are many Latin taboo words. And I just have one thing to share, which I thought was interesting. Um, yes, please. In a letter to one of his friends written about 45 BC, Cicero, uh, who, you know, like mm-hmm. famous um, Roman lawyer, basically. Yeah. Uh, Cicero discusses a number of Latin, of obscenities in Latin. It appears that the friend, Lucius Papirius Pietas, who oh. the letters to Cicero have not been preserved, had used the word mentula, which means penis, in one of his letters. Uh-huh. And Cicero praises him for his forthrightness, which he says conforms to the teaching of the Stoic philosophers, but says that he himself preserves, prefers modesty. In the letter, Cicero alludes to a number of obscene words without actually mentioning them. He does not object to using the word anus. He says that penis, which is in his day was obscene, was formerly a euphemism meaning tail. Okay, mm. so I love this because um, it is kind of going back to that conversation that I was starting was like my perception of progress Mm -hmm. and that sexual repression and liberation or whatever is clearly a non-linear subject. Right. Because he Cicero in this letter pulled out the exact like words and concepts that are 
inappropriate in our day. Like nothing has changed. 2000 years have gone by. We are in the exact same place in terms of sexuality than Mm -hmm. we were then, which makes sense because like we have procreated and kept the species alive that entire time. You know what I mean? Like it's like, this is base, simple stuff. It just is interesting that the mores around them like are all like pretty much the same. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's just like the conversation is just like between someone who's just like, we all have dicks. Mm-hmm. Like We're talking about dicks, like stop being so weird or whatever. And then this other person being like, but we don't have to just go around saying dicks all the time. Like we know we have them. We can be a little less. It is exactly the same. It's crazy. So does that um yeah does that does that like that comforts you? That disappoints the shit out of me. Really? It like in these moments, like it's like if we figured this shit out a thousand years ago, what what the fuck have we been doing? I guess it it comforts me. I don't know. Maybe this sounds like um, this is not supposed to sound like conceited. It comforts mm. me intellectually, mm. in the sense that like. It it makes me feel better to know that I'm not living like in a degenerative time in some regard. That Cicero mm. is talking about like the words that he likes to avoid because they're mm. like a, a little inappropriate. Because I too, like in most in many social situations, would avoid certain words because like mm-hmm. they make me feel inappropriate, but I'm impressed by people who are forthright with like the way that they talk. You know what I mean? Like right. it, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. something there's something there's something cool about understanding the humanity of these people. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. like like Roman thinkers who set like the way that the west like the intellectual stability of the west forever like cicero is the basis of modern law and yeah catalyst inspired ovid who's like the basis of you know like storytelling in the west (laughs) of all the metamorphoses that exist yeah so i don't know i guess it, it it that's what makes me feel better is that like Sometimes I feel like unstuck or lost in mm. a moment where I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, what am I capable? I, I just feel feel very inadequate, you know? And it's nice mm-hmm. to know that Cicero sometimes felt inadequate too, I guess is my my perception. Yeah. It's, it's a connection. Yeah. And it's a connection to the past and there is something always very beautiful about connecting to the past. And, and you found that through some guy who's like, I'll fuck you. If you call me gay, I'll fucking face fuck you. I will fucking fuck face you in the mouth. You're um, gay. You're gay. <laughs> but who even cares? <laughs> I'll fuck your face. All right. So I have to introduce a new character in our story. Okay. Um, yes. Amazing. Edouard Henri Avril. Um, he's a French painter and commercial artist. He lived, um, from 1849 to 1928. Uh, he's born in Algiers, Algeria, or at the time, Algiers, French Algeria. Um, and he is better known under the pseudonym Paul Abruil. 
and he was an, a prolific illustrator of erotic literature. Uh, he made a lot, a lot, a lot <laughs> of drawings of people doing it. Um, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, if you search Paula A-V-Y-R-I-L, you'll probably find him on Wikipedia. Okay, I'm seeing some stuff. It's not too sexual. Maybe my safe search is on. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right. Yeah. I, now I see it. Pretty explicit. Yeah. That's a lot of genitals. Um, <laughs> I think I was on the page for sexuality in ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. And there was a picture of his that had his hyperlink. So mm-hmm. I went to it. Um, mm-hmm. And he is interesting. I think, well, first of all, it made me, again, think about this like nonlinear cyclical element of human sexuality. Like yeah. Paris in the er- late 19th, early 20th century is in many respects more sexually liberated than the United States is today. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, but at the same time, this guy also had to use a pseudonym because he wasn't right. super comfortable. Just like putting it all out there that he liked to draw genitals. Right. So I started to look at it and I actually got sidetracked into something even more interesting. Yay. Uh, more sexy. Uh, so we found a, a new character amazing and our last character who uh is in many ways the most interesting um is someone called seed feeder (laughs) (laughs) and seed feeder is the pseudonym of an illustrator known for contributing sexually explicit drawings to wikipedia between 2008 and 2012 this artist created 48 depictions of various sex acts Seed Feeder's illustrations garnered negative and positive reactions. Some Wikipedia editors claim they contained racist and sexist undertones, while Andy Cush on Gawker <laughs> called him Wikipedia's greatest artist of sex acts. <laughs> Artnet columnist Patty Johnson listed Seed Feeder's work as one of the top 10 digital artworks of 2014. Um, For people who like aren't going to look, this is like a uh, WikiHow style. Yeah, okay, so, so, so there's... Like a ton of interesting stuff. So first of all, um, his talk page is fascinating. Um, So uh, if anyone is unfamiliar, uh, so first of all, it's rare that a Wikipedia user has their own Wikipedia page. Like Mm -hmm. wikipedia.org slash wiki slash user, you can find Seedfeeder's user page and look at his talk page. And it has a lot of people like interacting with him and him responding. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I guess I, I I'm gonna just like um, kind of go through his talk page and like his responses. His his style is enchanting and weird in a way because it is not explicitly pornographic. Um, right. It is not explicitly artistic. Mm-hmm. But it is explicitly explicit. It yeah. is fucking graphic. Um, he has, he, if you were to go and search Wikipedia for, let's say, anal sex, um, cum shot, uh, fisting, 
um, threesome, uh, gonzo pornography, doggy style, deep throating. Uh-huh. His illustration is the main illustration on every single one of these pages. <laughs> and they are weird. Like they're uncanny <laughs> in a way. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He described it uh, in his own words. So someone said, uh, Seed Feeder, well done with your artwork. I'm sure you've heard that before, of course, but I'll say it all the same. I was looking at one of them today, and it occurred to me that they looked like they were created with a 3D modeling program and mm-hmm. rendered using a cell shader or the like. As I myself am starting out in 3D modeling, I'm curious to know, is this the case? Um, and he said, thanks for the compliment. No, I do my thing the old-fashioned way. Um, the simple shading style I have settled upon actually sprang from the simple illustrations in airline safety pamphlets. I figured, why argue with what has worked in the past? <laughs> so, I mean, then you go and look back, and it really does. Like, I think my personal favorite one is the um, the the facial sex act pictures. That's like his best work. There's one that is. Um, so he does something very interesting from the couple I've seen. Um, which I love, which is to completely Wikipediaize sex. It's completely uh, is scientific. The word encyclopedic. It is absolutely encyclopedic. And one of the things that I noticed every single article um, I went to, and I'd go to the talk page. There is someone that is like, "Why is this illustration here? It's clearly some weird dude with a fetish." Why are we allowing this to stay up? But um, one of the things that a lot of the editors will have continued to say is that Mm. these sex acts are rife with vandalism where people will like add pictures of themselves doing the weird shit that the the article is about. Mm. And I mean, here's the thing. We can probably have a an argument about whether like the term cum shot deserves mm-hmm. deserves to have a Wikipedia article or an encyclopedia article. But right. I tend to end on the side that it should, because right. it is a cultural concept mm-hmm. that exists and mm-hmm. Wikipedia is an attempt to to encompass everything about humanity. And right. so so when it comes down to it, a picture, like all media that you can add to explain something mm-hmm. is more effective than right. than not. I don't know. I maybe I don't know where I'm going. This this is a this is a tricky subject. I mean it's not easy. No, 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 no. It's funny. Like to me, this is a hilariously natural progression of the questions that Cicero um, and whoever he was. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Were like kind of like discussing, right? Which is like, what role does the human hang up do the human hang ups for sex, the subjective human hang ups about sex play in the actual existence of this phenomenon we call sex? Right. No, that's a great point. That it's because like, like and like fetish fetishes is fetishes are such a good like psychological lens into it. Like this guy could possibly have none of no kinks 
and yet understand kinks completely. Right. Which I think is um, an incredible psychological skill. Um, I do think it's interesting that he has quite a few pictures of different, um, like, gender and sexual orientation uh, sex acts. Like, he has that, homosexual sex acts. He has heterosexual sex acts. It's it's interesting. This is this is like to me, you know, to me from from where I'm sitting, the only perverted sense of joy that this artist gets out of it might be the exact line he's towing where he's doing exactly what Wikipedia requires. Right. Better than anyone ever could have expected. Um to the point where people now have to make a judgment call based on their own individual hangups. Uh, so the, the Gawker article about this guy from um, November, 2014 is mm-hmm. incredible. Like it's, it's very, very well done. It's like okay. during, during Gawker's golden age. Um, but this guy, he like the, the author of this article interviewed a couple mm-hmm. of art critics um, mm-hmm. and they, uh, so, so this part is good. Um, there's also that distinctive artificial flatness. In 2009, Seedfeeder wrote on his talk page that he creates his illustrations using a Wacom tablet in Adobe Photoshop. Um, and Johnson, who's an art critic, guessed that he achieves the look through use of a particular filter. It appears to be a filter that lowers the pixel count, creating obvious gradients. Artists use these filters too. In particular, mm-hmm. the art critic praised an image uploaded in 2011 called Wiki POV Pornography, which depicts a woman going down on a man as he films her with a camcorder slung over his shoulder. Looming in the background, we see what the camera sees, a tight shot of the woman looking up, the man's penis in veiny detail. It's the most complicated image of the lot, Johnson wrote, and does a good <laughs> job monumentalizing the blowjob. Um Typically, seed feeders' characters have sex in a void. In wiki POV pornography, they have a purpose. They are making a porno. We know this because the man is holding a camera. The use of props to create context and the simultaneous presentation of multiple perspectives makes this the most ambitious work in the seed feeder canon. And if you think about it for too long, it almost starts to feel like a meta-commentary on his own illustrations or the porn they so closely resemble. Is the filleted cameraman a stand-in for the artist? The viewer, both, if you'll indulge a fanciful comparison, it recalls a similar, similarly monumental image by another master at the top of his game, Diego Velasquez's The Las Meinas. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's so funny. It's so interesting. I this actually is... find myself like deeper in a rabbit hole on this specific yeah. topic than like almost anything we've talked about. It's so interesting. Okay. So the the mention of Las Meninas actually makes me disagree with the questioning interpretation of that passage. Because Las Meninas, from what I understand, it's like the whole point, or, or, or one of the big things about it is that you kind of, because of your eyelines compared to the islands of the subjects inside and stuff you're supposed to kind of like lose yourself into it Mm. and it's like that kind of blurring of 
you know, of reality perception, so to speak. But I think this POV photograph or art piece of art does the exact opposite where the point of the far away is to distinctly informationally tell you what is going on in the concept of POV pornography. Interesting. So like to me, what's really interesting about this artwork is that it is completely devoid of the emotions or the perceptions that the viewer is, the viewer is not a part of the experience. Right. Which, which is the opposite of all porn. Right. Good point. Like you, like no matter whether anyone addresses the camera at all, the constant understanding is that the viewer is an integral and intimate part of the experience. Right. And somehow maybe by, because of the quality or just like, like so many of the sex acts lack facial, like clear eye expressions. Yeah. Well, do you know the, the original one is, um, uh, it's facial, it's yeah, so of, I'm seeing like the couple different variants on the facial. Yeah, so the 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 white woman with the black man is mm-hmm. the original drawing he did, mm-hmm. uh, which came under a lot of scrutiny actually. Um, right for the connotations. Yeah, because yeah, the the racial connotation, but also the woman's expression is like right. completely blank, and so people imply that there's some sort of like coerciveness about it. Right, there's almost a frown. Yeah. Which which makes to me which makes the racial thing exist. Yeah, that that exacerbates it, right? That yeah. exacerbates it. And and largely and possibly only in the States. Sure. You know. Um and apparently because it makes sense though when you think about it through the prism that this was the first one that he did. Mm-hmm. And from a completely Wikipedia mind, mm-hmm. like the idea that you don't like that it's it's improper to des- designate any expression on mm-hmm. the character or on like right. the 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 actor you know mm-hmm. or the the drawing um but then you do see like the the later facial mm-hmm. illustrations are like almost like turning his nose at right. the the editors that may have an issue the woman is like almost like overjoyed to be mm-hmm. those are actually probably my my favorite of the drawings that i find the most like there there's something so uncanny about them like the woman has like such a weird haircut yeah yeah it's it's got a caring the casting, haircut the casting is definitely the most curious part of it all yeah um i do love that's so funny the pov picture really cements it for me it's because a, it feels yeah. as though it feels as though he drew the blowjob part and thought this is too like sexy right what, what i the only thing i'm trying to do is disseminate this information about what it is yeah wow, so interesting i definitely see a distinct lack of asian male but you know I won't get too into that because some of them might be this in a very, very roundabout way could be uh, compared to 
Virginia Woolf trying to separate. Um, Milton's work from himself. Right. Good point. Trying to like, yeah, navigate how you can interpret Paradise Lost if you actually know the person that Milton was. I mean, the mm. seed feeder is clearly a white man, by the way. There, yeah, like yeah. No, oh, a hundred percent. That is, that's what's funny. This comes down to kind of the our conversation about whether it's like how inherently impossible it is for white guys to get out of white guy brain. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And that is the one bias that I would, that I could see. It's interesting because I, this, this also comes down to the conversation of the progressiveness of sex is back and forth and all over the place. It's not a linear progression. Um, because how can like this if if we consider this the one of the best objective imagery like the best use of imagery objectively to talk about sex like how how can you objectively regard something that is so specifically human and subjective and yeah yeah i mean it's i guess that's in many ways, the possibility like, of that. It's the um, the core of of Wikipedia as a whole, right? Is like yeah, an impossibility that is built around this like collective civic goal mm. that is lofty, idealistic, impossible. Mm. But mm. but but at the same time, there's a big difference between uh, this is impossible. Therefore, it is completely unworthy of of our time. Right. And this is impossible. Therefore, we should spend all of our time working towards that goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like if we don't talk about it and if we're not willing to discuss, like, for example, if you're not willing to discuss the kinks that actually physically exist, how can you even pretend to have a real conversation about sexuality? You know? I do see certain shades of your, your like, kind of thematic topic that's been brought up before of like autism is it like an evolution of the species Mm. Mm -hmm. in especially in wikipedia in like this like like goal of eliminating bias and examining Mm -hmm. like the 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 totality of the information on a broad level you know like i i would not be surprised if Mm -hmm. this artist maybe to be able to discuss the intricacies of a specific fetish um, from a completely removed perspective, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet and yet understand the psychology um, behind those is yeah. That that is very interesting. You yeah you got that's so funny man. You got my brain working in a way I did not expect about this. <laughs> this is like still very much in line with uh we got it we got we got pretty far right i mean this was a pretty big hole to get from from latin poems to seed feeder the thing is i feel like i've only been able to express like 0.5 percent of all the things i'm trying to like navigate in this and yet we have gone pretty far yeah dude that was fun right that was a lot of fun 
I've been uh, spending this whole week kind of doing my own meditation retreat. Um, nice. Just like minimal, minimal social media, um, minimal media intake other than some TV at night and stuff like that. Um, a lot of meditation. And, I, and I'm like starting to concretely buy into the whole like, not this bullshit, like the secret shit, but just like, you know, sometimes you put vibes out there and things like kind of fall into place. And this is just such a perfect example of that. Um, because what I wanted to talk about uh, starts, it starts with a man named Joseph Pujol. Okay. Best known by his stage name, La Petaman. La Petaman? La Petaman. Okay. All right. He was a French flatulist, professional farter, and entertainer. Hell yes. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> he was famous for his remarkable control of the abdominal muscles, which enabled him to seemingly fart at will. His stage name combines the French verb pitter to fart with the man maniac suffix, which translates to fartomaniac. Yes. The, profession, <laughs> the profession is also referred to as flatulist, fartur, and fartiste. Okay, sorry. First observation. This does nothing but reinforce the idea that I've always had that the French and Japanese are intrinsically soul-connected. Yeah. Like, yep. this is something that would absolutely happen in Japan, right? Fartman. 100%. Fartman. Or... 100%. And the thing about, like, yeah, what I love is, like, a French or Japanese flatulist right now, the source of humor would be so much deeper entrenched in culture than just farts. Right. The reason people laugh is going to be just like the angle of the fart in the context that it's provided. Um, It's funny because the main reason I wanted to talk about this was because it took me to the page of flatulence humor. um, And it took me to Roland the farter. Let's let's talk a little bit about La Petite Man first. Yeah, just yeah, to that give sounds people good. The, people the brass tacks. Uh, Joseph, uh, I, I I never know because this guy is like French and stuff. If it's Pujol or like Pujol, you know, but it's like Albert Pujols. Um, I think, and I think it's funny that this. It's funny that this Puyol, flatulent, Puyol, flat, right? flatulist's last name is Pujol. So Pujol, yeah, it's Joseph that rocks. Pujol. Yeah, Joseph Pujol. That that um, sounds good. Pujol was born in Marseille, one of five school children, blah, 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 in a family of Catalan origin. He, he Soon after he left school, he had a strange experience while swimming in the sea. He put his head underwater and held his breath, whereupon he felt an icy cold, penet an icy cold penetrating his rear. He ran ashore in fright and was amazed to sense water pouring from his anus. While serving in the army, he told his fellow soldiers about his special ability and repeated it for their amusement, sucking up water from a pan into his rectum and then projecting it up to several yards. He found that he could suck in air as well. Wait, okay, uh, all right, so because I, I need to oh, yeah. verbalize my... I've made a face this entire time. Oh, obviously. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, it's not your fault. I just yeah. need the listener to know I, too, am listening in 
stupefied, stupefied, uh, yeah, interest. Um, he he was sucking water. He basically just he, didn't have like an anus. No, I think he could probably like he it's could a combination pull it up. of of yeah, being able to loosen your anus just enough to then use the vacuum of your diaphragm moving up to then dude fuck yeah brother good for um, you man that's i honestly wish i had like this is like a superpower yeah. i kind of wish i had that's pretty this is one of those things i think most people would fall in within the spectrum into the category of oh, this sounds so dumb i can kind of do it and then like Mm, but he must really knock it out of the park yeah. to have made a name. Um, so some, so then uh, Pujol would sometimes entertain his customers, he was a baker, by imitating musical instruments and claimed to be playing them behind the counter. Pujol decided to try the stage and debuted in Marseille in 1887. When his act was well-received, he moved to Paris, where he appeared at the Moulin Rouge Fuck yeah. in 1892. Some of the highlights of the stage act involved sound effects of cannon fire and thunderstorms, as well as playing Rosso Le Mio and La Marseillaise on an ocarina through a rubber tube in his anus. Hell yes. His audience included Edward, Prince of Wales, King Leopold II of the Belgians, and Sigmund Freud. So then, okay, so to me, the amazing thing is... Uh, of course, his popularity and his high class. Yeah, I mean, we need to yeah. we do do need to note because it's come up a couple times. Paris in the eighteen nineties sounds like a hoot, <laughs> like a really fun, fucking weird place, but fun mm-hmm. as fuck. Yeah, yeah, I would have loved to have. I would have loved to have just been one of the people there. Yeah, totally. Um, so then I just went down to see also because of course. Um, and I found Roland the Farter. Okay, hell yeah. This is when it got interesting. I thought Roland the Farter sounds like a super 90s, like, you know, maybe went on public access television, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Roland the Farter was a medieval flatulist Fuck who yes. lived in 12th century, 12th century England. He was given Hemingstone Manor in Suffolk and 30 acres of land in return for his services as a jester. Yes. For King Henry II, each year he was obliged to perform unum saltum et sefletum et unum bumbulum. One jump, one whistle, and one fart for the king's court at Christmas. Hell yeah. Which takes me back to like this thing that my mom said to me when I was in high school, which was like really, really kind of stuck with me. Is She said a, a good poop joke or a good fart joke is a good joke first. There's always a place for poops and farts if you if you play it right. So I, I would say I would say that um, one of the things I'm, like I'm expressing this like kind of like um, intentionally aggressively, but one of the okay. things that has been stolen from us mm-hmm. in history. Mm-hmm. is like the raw humanity of the people of the past mm-hmm. right and because mm-hmm. of the nature of the people who 
write things down, the people who record things, and the people who make art, like the the fact the the fact is ninety five percent. You know, I, I'm making these numbers up, but like the vast, yeah. vast, vast majority of people who have ever mm-hmm. lived, if you if you're in a if you're in a room with them, mm-hmm. just you and another person, mm-hmm. and one of you farts, mm-hmm. I don't care what culture you're in, what period of time, who you are, it's mm-hmm. funny. Like you both laugh. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so there is. This is, I mean, this is a great, this is so synchronous. Uh, there's so much synchronicity is. with what we were talking about with sex. Is that like, this is raw humanity. This is raw. Mm-hmm. This is what it means to be alive. And mm-hmm. so much of the past is completely um, separated from that. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's... Um, like uh, mores, or like uh, you know, or 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 it, a certain intellectual drive, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, we don't get to see so much of that from history. Yeah, that's because one of the main examples for me, what I love so much. People always tell you a good title has irony, you know, something, something, something ironic within it. I think the Divine Comedy is the single best title hmm. to for a piece of work that literally tries to encompass the human condition. The Divine Comedy, the comedy implied being like the plight of human existence, right. which is low low brow, crass, carnal desires. Absolutely. But, but it's the divine human existence is the divine comedy, which right. is just the perfect paradox. And you've heard it so many times for me i love a good paradox um paradise lost does a good job but the divine comedy really hits that like low brownness of existence right of regular re- existence on our journey toward heaven. that's why it sucks like to me that you know when i had roundabout learned about um the divine comedy initially it, it was mostly just dante's inferno dante's inferno dante's right. inferno Dante's Inferno as a title does not provide you with the all-encompassing true title that the Divine Comedy is. So then, like, that's a good example of these moments getting, we we, we were stolen, that was stolen from us. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. By a culture that doesn't understand, you know. I mean, the context, well, and I honestly wonder, you know, it's, I think it's, I think it's improper to, like, to, like, try to distinguish a moment there is no like singular moment where like people decided uh to take the fun out of everything but it certainly does seem like uh divine comedy is a great one don quixote is another great example of like like a incredible work of literature that has the fun has been fucking sucked out of it over time Uh, and it's like the, the Don Quixote is a funny fucking book. A raucous. It's yeah. super funny. I mean, it's about how it's about how, and and we and then we we describe we use all these terms, especially for literature, for the like avant garde, right? Like 
Right. The, did, how how did your ears perk up when I when we talked about Catalyst and uh, avant garde? I mean, yeah. like they were talking about avant garde poetry. You know, that term is obviously a modern term, but mm-hmm. that's a, that's cl- what it was. That's clearly what it was in the time, mm-hmm. and it's like a, it, similar to sexuality to human um, expression. Like mm-hmm. we progress is perhaps not the right term. We have such a warped view of the world because of the industrial revolution, yeah. right? I think mm-hmm. that's like the key turning point yeah. in, in the sense that like we think about progress because the industrial revolution started this like nonstop um, stepping stones of technology mm-hmm. to where mm-hmm. we are today. And we're continuing mm-hmm. on it, where it's like every year we come out with something new that like benefits our lives as humans, makes it easier to live. Right. But if you're talking about art, if you're talking about human expression, if you're talking about what it means to be alive, mm-hmm. I am not sure that you can say we are more progressive, per se, right. in 2021 than we were mm-hmm. in 1821, 1621, 21 you know what i mean like right we're all just the same people we just have mm-hmm. different lenses through which we see the world and this I, is... I have a hard time f- of squaring that to be completely honest as a so-called progressive mm-hmm. and i think that's why so many and i've mentioned this before so many like artists film being a good example right now of people who are working within the Hollywood system but are not born and bred Americans are talking about time and trying to rewire American audiences' brains to understand time not as something linear but as something cyclical Mm -hmm. as a way to break us out of exactly this. Right. This idea of linear progression. Because the way I see progression to me, it's more, and this obviously has to do with like, my Buddhist influences is it's more the idea of finding the balance, finding that middle line in sure. between. And then the conversation of sex, for example, re- total repression clearly, clearly is not the enlightened way to progress. Having said that, I don't necessarily think full liberation where we're just doing everything and anything without thought necessarily brings you to a higher plane of conscious existence like totally it's the balance of understanding what your tastes are to maximize the emotion and feeling sensations physical and emotional it's the difference between fucking and making love right Right. it's like you could do missionary your whole life and still have an incredible as long as you understand what's going on right and i think that's that's like that you're you're I, I I feel you on that thing of like it doesn't feel like we can break out of it. And I could see artists trying to get, to change the internal framework of understanding. And and I think there is a very distinct reason why it's not coming from born and bred Americans right now. Why it's Denis Villeneuve, why it's Christopher Nolan, why it's like a bunch of non American people. Because they come from cultures that have deep enough understanding of time to yeah. see the to see the phases to ha- have see a the, sense of history yeah yeah to have a history that went that has experienced hyperliberalism and hyperconservatism well, at different points yeah i mean yeah the like the american experience is um it's different for the west i guess 
because they because mm-hmm. clearly like there were eastern empires that were built right basically every persian empire that ever existed was built on <laughs> like the the concept of massive like blending of cultures mm-hmm. but americans don't want to hear that i mean the the, no. the americans want to hear that like no this is this is the future this is it yeah. and this is it forever and once we get it right we get to stay like this forever mm-hmm and then, uh, and then within that, there's a bunch of people who are like, "We already did get it right, and now you guys are making it more wrong." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It used to be yeah. good. Make it, make it great again. Make it great again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think we should end this. I do think we should uh, should log out for the night. Yeah. Uh, it's been a, a delightful discussion. Um, it really has. And 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 to our listeners, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts um, on the place of buttholes. In the canon of human history. Yeah, buttholes both being used romantically and being used comically. Yeah. Um, can't wait to think of the episode title for this one. Yep. But uh, in the meantime, I'm going to go edit this. I'm going to go um, look at some of the research materials, uh, you know, in my in my room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Give myself a yeah, give minutes. yourself some minutes with Seed Feeder. Just see what happens, huh? This is going to be, <laughs> to our listeners, um, not including my 15-year-old cousin, um, give it a wank. <laughs> yeah. give, give Seed Feeder a wank and see what, see what, see what happens. See what I think it might tell us something about yourself, yeah. Yeah, just send us a little picture, thumb up, thumb down. <laughs> see a if you can do it. And then the psychology though, of why you can. A clothed picture, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are not a bachelor contestant. Please don't send us your penis. Yeah, seriously. All right. Adios, folks. Thank you for listening. Let's see you next week.